The scripture this morning is Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. So please stand for the reading of God's word. There's a page change here, and so I need to get set up. All right, I'm ready. It starts out now after they. They are the wise men. They had just visited Jesus. So it says, Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Sorry. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they were no more. They are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, And went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the town, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth. So that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Amen. Not every denomination gets to boast Jesus in their membership roles. Just a joke, just a joke. As the children head out to Children's Church, um, I do want to just, even though it's not on the screen, want to just invite you, if you uh, have a few minutes of prayer, if you want to come forward to the altars, you certainly can. Otherwise, if you'd like to stay in your seat, you can as well, but... That's customarily what we do during this time, and when we planned this a few weeks ago, wasn't sure if we'd have have a, a space in here or not for that. So, um, want to invite you forward if you'd like to for prayer. Otherwise, you feel free to stay in your seat, and let's we'll pray in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
for this new year, for a new day, for new life, for newness. You are a God who makes all things new. That's your that's your calling card. That's your tagline. Um, I don't know that we're always certain what that means or that we want all things to be new, but I think we're supposed to. I pray that today as we hear from Scripture, as we think about this story, as we think about our own lives, about the church that we are in here, I pray that you help us to desire newness, to be willing to... to to go in new directions, to to choose new things, to embrace the newness that you would have for us and for the world. You are renewing all things. I believe that began the moment that our first parents were cast out of the garden and it definitely, that plan went into into overdrive uh, with the birth of Jesus and with his life in our midst with the crucifixion and the resurrection, you're making all things new, that all would be on earth as it is in heaven. We await the consummation of that truth. And while we do so, we look around and we see goodness, and we see truth and beauty, we see hope, but we also see see cancer, we see death, we see addiction, sorrow, And some of these things we see in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own church. We see the reality of brokenness and sin, and I hope that we also see the reality of newness, of new life, of resurrection, and of that which we ultimately hope for. And I pray that today, and and all days, that you would help us to to deal with the brokenness, to, to endure, to pray and to strive for, for better. But I pray that you'd help us to fixate on the newness, to see it, to strive for it, to pray for it, to lean into it, and to trust that that newness, which is sometimes quite scary, not all of us like newness, but to trust that it is good and it's good for us, and it's what you'd have for us. I ask that with that, of course, that you would hear all the prayers that are being lifted up quietly. Um, you know what they are. All the concerns, all the struggles, the, the desire for employment, for health, for family stability, for housing security, for concerns about politics and the world around us. For our kids and our grandkids, for our parents and our grandparents, all the things that are on our hearts and our minds, hear those things and bring your newness and your healing into those situations. We give you the glory for that. And in your, your, excuse me, in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Well, it really is good to be with you again uh, this morning and to, and to be here on this first day of this new year. Uh, my kids, I think it was Daisy, was asking if every year, if Christmas is always on a Sunday and if New Year's is always on a Sunday. And we said, no, no, it's, it's not. And uh, it's, just, it's just special. So if you were up too late partying last night, we're glad you're here today. Although that's probably not the case, but I did see a few pictures. We're in that in-between time where staying up till midnight sounds awful because we still have little kids. We used to do that. And when they get a little bit older, we'll probably do that again. But uh, we didn't. So uh, 
I had trouble getting to sleep, so I did actually welcome in the new year, but not on purpose. So, uh, years ago, a, a few of you, we've got a few Olivetians here, or people who went to Olivet. Uh, we, I, we may, I think we've got a few people who have lived maybe in the Chicago area, or like Wisconsin, up those Great Lakes areas. If you have, you know what cold is like, and you know that like a week or so ago, that was just kind of a taste. Uh, it gets real cold there and real windy and it just keeps going. And I remember when, uh, we, when we were living there for a few years, I was working on my PhD. Uh, we lived, uh, the first year we lived in Evanston up north because I was at Northwestern. Uh, and then the second year we lived in, uh, in Hyde Park uh, down south because that was really close to where Lauren was working uh, in that area. And uh, one, one of my classes, uh, I had to take at least one class at one of the other schools in the Chicagoland area. And the only school that was not part of the consortium, because they're rather snooty, was the University of Chicago. Anybody ever been to the University of Chicago campus? No? Okay, it's probably one of the most beautiful campuses in the United States. Uh, it feels like a European campus. It's just incredibly, incredibly beautiful. Old, historic. It's worth it sometimes if you're ever there. Uh, go on a little, little tour. Go down there. Go during the day, because some of that part is kind of shady. But, um, but the campus is not. Anyways, one day, I was down there. I took a class at the University of Chicago. Got it worked out to take this philosophy class with a, um, a French philosopher who teaches half the year at the Sorbonne and half the year at University of Chicago. It's a pretty cool experience. And I was going into campus and uh, I had to find my way around since it didn't feel you know, like home. I'd always have to kind of check where I was at. It was a really cold day, really snowy. And there, it's kind of like it's been the last week or so. You've got to always shovel and prepare because more comes and more comes. And if you don't take care of that, it just gets worse and worse. And there's ice underneath, right? Well, this day I couldn't help but just watch. There was cobblestone paths and, and the stone buildings and around this corner where everybody is coming, I don't, you know, leaving one class, trying to get to another. Just, just, you know, it's like an ice rink, pure ice. And uh, people at the University of Chicago, I can say this because none of you went there, none of you even visited, so it's safe to pick on them. They're, they're a different group. Uh, I have a friend who went there. He, they, he said that their slogan was, where fun comes to die. Um, they're different. They all, so um, they're all walking around with their heads down and they're running. And, and, and literally, it was just one after another. Just slip, fall, just at one. And you keep thinking, at some point, somebody's going to look up and they're going to stop doing this. But just one after the other after the other. I even find it, hey, stop. To, to, I think it was to a young woman. Nah, just slip, fall. It became kind of hilarious, and I did just sit, sit and watch for a while. Nobody would pay attention. Nobody would listen. They just kept falling one after the other around this corner. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that. They were so focused on where they needed to go that they just failed to notice the obstacle immediately in front of them. Things don't always work out the way we expect them to. They thought they're just going to go to class and get right there, and instead they're sliding on the ground. And they're young and spry, so hopefully nobody got too hurt. But when we last left off last Sunday, and with the Christmas story, just want to make sure is any help needed back in the back. Are we okay? Okay, okay, good, good. When we last left off last Sunday with our Christmas story. Uh, we left off with the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, 
Things were peaceful. They were serene. I made a joke, and it's true. Don't anybody think that Jesus didn't cry? He was a he was fully God, fully human. So that meant he cried. He he went through teething. He probably had you know infections, things like that. He was a baby. He you know he was a true blooded you know human baby. But still, it was just the peacefulness of that moment. We can't, it, it's hard, like I mentioned last week, it's hard to move beyond that. It's Hopefully it's kind of gripping, you know, the, the animals are around and the stars are brighter than normal and, you know, the angels were there and it's just, it's peaceful. Try to put yourself into that scene if you haven't already and just consider the peace, the serenity of that moment. God's plan is unfolding. Remember, God's come to Mary. God's come to Joseph through an angel in a dream. They both said yes to the ridiculous. They both risked their lives, their families, their future. They've really gone out on a limb for God here. And they're now enjoying a bit of peacefulness. That they're in that sort of sweet spot where they've done what God has asked them to do. And I'm sure they're thinking, okay, this was challenging, but we're okay. And God is going to take care of us. And now we pick up in Matthew's Gospel a bit later. We don't know how much time has gone by. The family is presumably traveling home, probably heading to Nazareth. And then suddenly one night, Joseph has a dream. Uh, a dream. This is very common still. Uh, that region, Middle Eastern uh, folks, that, that is a very common thing. There's all these incredible stories of... Of, of Islamic people, men especially, having dreams now of Jesus and converting to Christianity. This is a big part of that culture um, since forever. So in this way, this is a, it's a common thing. I say that because it's not as common for us. If one of you says, God appeared to me in a dream and said to do this, a lot of times we're like, well, are you sure about that? It was really common then. So an angel appears to, to, to Joseph and says, so change your plans. Remember Herod? He's going to kill all of you. Um, and so I need you to not go home. Instead, you should probably go to Egypt. Um, and you'll be safe there. Hmm. This is not... I'm confident this is not how Joseph thought this story was going to go. This is not... You know, Have you ever been a mother? Have you ever held... No, right. Uh, maybe... Now, mothers and fathers have some different feelings, but... Um, you know, fathers tend to have, these are overgeneralizations, these feelings of got to take care of the family, I've got to make sure everything's okay. The, the, the mother in particular has this sense of I have to do everything I can, like I am this baby's everything, you know. Uh, and so it's not a great idea, unless you can't help it, to suddenly uproot, uh, you know, a new mother. Hey, we've got to move across the world right now while you're having a baby or right before. I've done that before. It was challenging. Not the greatest idea, always. Um, these aren't the, these, this is not exactly what you hope for and plan for. And, and I've got to think that when we think back to that serenity and that peacefulness of that moment, remember all that Joseph and Mary had risked and are risking. To think now that God is saying, well, rather than go home and have a nice kind of comfortable adult, you know, childhood and adolescence, I need you to flee into a whole different country, one that doesn't really like you, um, probably in a kind of illegal type fashion um, for safety. That is not what they were thinking. I, I can just picture, if I was Joseph, I'm thinking something like, God is going to bless us. We have said yes 
to some pretty difficult circumstances. This family, this child, it's clearly important. God's going to at least provide a stable home environment for us to raise young Jesus in. And instead, the Lord, the angel of the Lord appears and tells Joseph to take them, to take the family into Egypt to flee from Herod. Now, just three things worth pointing out just really quickly about this before we kind of move on with the, the main focus. This is, a, this is an aspect of the Christmas story that we often skip over. Uh, when I've preached about this before, people have often commented that they're surprised to, to, to learn this or to read this. That yes, Jesus and his family had to flee their home into a foreign country, uh, a foreign power, one that's pretty important historically, one that probably didn't want them there. Uh, as an immigrant, maybe an illegal immigrant, but at the very least as an immigrant, if you've ever immigrated, it's really, really complex and difficult. It's not easy. It's a challenge in every way. And this is how Jesus' first few years are spent with his family immigrating into Egypt. Now, also, we read that Herod, uh, because he wants this baby killed does something similar to what Pharaoh did before, and he's having babies of roughly the same age, young males, killed. So they've got that sort of going on in their conscience as well, knowing that while they're fleeing, a lot of other babies about the same age are being killed because of this story that they're committed to, because of this plan. That'd be a hard thing to sleep with, to know that this is happening. A difficult part of the story. Overall, the point is this was likely a very difficult period for this young family. It was to, to take off. It, they had, I, I, I'm confident that they thought that the plan was now that they would return home, that they would have relative stability, they would raise this baby to go on and do great things. I, it, it's, it's, I'm sure it was frustrating in the, to say the least for this new development to come about. But you see, the God who makes all things new was clearly at work doing just that. I think, the more I think about this theme, this, that God, you know, God says, I'm the one who makes all things new in Revelation, for example. I think this is one of the, one of the most wonderful and also the most frustrating aspects of our God. I think I can speak for us. If not, you raise your hand. But I think I can speak for us and say that, that we want God to do something new, but we don't always like new things. We want God to do something new, just as long as it doesn't really mean I have to do anything new or different. Right? As long as those new things don't involve us. I think that really applied here to Mary and Joseph. I think it's pretty safe to assume that they were a little perturbed and that it was a really challenging way to start off their young married life as parents and as spouses. How would you feel if you were Joseph and Mary? Have you ever felt this way? Like you felt like God was saying, this is the plan, this, I want you to go this direction. God opens a door. You go that direction. And suddenly there's a big patch of ice right in front of you that if you don't pay attention to, you're going to slip and fall on. You've got to now go a different way. But I thought, God, you were saying, go this way. 
the overall, now maybe it's been long enough that you know, the, the overall plan was there and you got to that point. God was doing that, that work. But there were all these unexpected obstacles and difficulties in the way that you just never thought about, that you never planned for. I wonder if you feel this way now, possibly in your own lives. If you're at a place where you feel like, I thought this was what was happening, and yet it seems like now there's an obstacle. There's an unexpected difficulty in the way. As a church, during an interim period, a transitional time, you may feel this way right now. In any of these areas, you thought God was calling you in a certain direction, only to find obstacles and unexpected things blocking that way. You, you, you can find or you can maybe see a new way opening up, but it's, but it's different than what you first thought. Maybe it's more challenging. Maybe it's frustrating. Maybe there's adversities. Can you relate to this? I know I can. As I look back, I, I can certainly look back and see God at work in our lives and I can see so many times where I am so much of a better person for this having happened or I am so much of a better pastor or whatever for having gone through these experiences. But in the midst of it, I mean, I'll confess, I often think, God, I, I, don't, I don't really understand. I thought I was sacrificing and doing exactly what you wanted and then there's this big obstacle. I don't understand. <coughs> Why is this here? Why do you want me to go this way? I thought you wanted me to go this way. Can you relate to this at all? Yeah, yeah. amen. In my experience, though painful... Often these unexpected changes are painful. These unexpected directions that we need to go in are usually for the best. We may think we know what's next. We had it figured out. This is exactly what we're going to do or, or this is what we're going to choose or this is where we're going or moving or what job we're going to do or what our kids are going to do or whatever. That's, that's even more, you know, when you've got to be factoring another human. This is what our kids are going to do. Well, they, they're individual people that are going to make their own choices and mistakes. We may think we know what's next, but God often uses obstacles to reroute us, adversities, other unexpected things to steer us in a new but ultimately blessed direction. Now, I don't know if this is going to work. We, I, there's a story I love. I love the children's books by a guy named Oliver Jeffers. He's my favorite kid's book, uh, kid's author. Uh, there's one story in particular that I, I will use periodically for this kind of thing. Um, but we can't find it. We were trying our hardest. That's why we were almost late today. We were trying in our classroom to find it. We have a YouTube video of the author reading it. But apparently we sometimes have trouble with YouTube videos. So I was going to read, actually Lauren was going to read this for you, which would have been a treat, but she's not. We're going to give it a moment and we're going to see if the video will work. Otherwise, I'll kind of just give you an idea of what this book says. And we'll, we're drawing to a close in case you're keeping track at home. We're getting there anyways. Carpentry. I mean, there is a reference to him being, you know, to being a carpenter. Um, so probably just, you know, 
that kind of work and he would have had to find work. There was a question, what did Joseph do? I'm getting, I'm seeing some head nodding back there, so the video may not work. We'll see. Uh, but probably, and this is part of, it's really worth considering the fact that they were immigrants. Legal or not, different culture, but still hard enough to find work in your own culture on kind of day labor work. But to think of suddenly being in a whole new place, whole new, you know, everything, and then trying to find work to pay to, to get food to, to feed your family, it would have been a really, really difficult experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, looks like maybe it's going to happen. We'll see. There we go. trying to solve a growing problem by throwing things at it. It all began when Floyd got his kite stuck in a tree. He tried pulling and swinging, but it wouldn't come unstuck. The trouble really began when he threw his favorite shoe to knock the kite loose. And that got stuck too. Then Floyd tried a duck to knock down the bucket of paint a chair to knock down the duck, his friend's bicycle to knock down the chair, the kitchen sink to knock down his friend's bicycle, their front door to knock down the kitchen sink, the family car to knock down the front door, the milkman to knock down the family car, an orangutan to knock down the milkman who surely had somewhere else to be, a small boat to knock down the orangutan, a big boat to knock down the small boat, a rhinoceros to knock down the big boat, a long-distance lorry to knock down the rhinoceros, a house across the street to knock down the long-distance lorry, the lighthouse to knock down the house no longer across the street, and a curious whale in the wrong place at the wrong time to knock down the lighthouse. And wouldn't you know, they all got stuck. A fire engine was passing and heard all the commotion. The firemen stopped to see if they could help at all. And up they went. First the fire engine, followed by the firemen, one by one. And there they stayed, stuck between the orangutan and one of the boats. Firemen would definitely be noticed missing, and Floyd knew he'd be in big trouble. Then he had an idea, and went to find a saw. He lined it up as best he could, and hurled it up the tree. And that was it. There was no more room left in the tree, and the kite came unstuck. Floyd was delighted. He had forgotten all about his kite and put it to use immediately, enjoying the rest of his day very much. That night, Floyd fell asleep exhausted, though before he did, he could have sworn there was something he was forgetting. Right. The end. So, definitely a kid's story, but a really good profound one, in my opinion. Uh, you've heard that old expression or an expression, something to the effect of we're, we're perfectly poised to, to produce the results of like that we're getting right now. You know, something like that. I forget the best way that goes. Anybody know how to say that better than what I just said? Something like that. So in this story, this young boy has a problem. And so he just kind of begins to do what he thinks is the, is, you know, is the way to get it down, to get his kite down. It's not a very good way. 
But it just keeps going. It gets hilarious. And, and eventually, you'll notice, probably some of these different things would have, been, would have been more effective. But then especially when the firefighters show up with their ladders, right, hello, you could have just maybe deviated from the plan and saw, wow, look, God is, you know, somebody, the author, has dropped this into our lap. We could get this kite down this way and maybe all the, you know, the orangutan, the ship and all that stuff as well. But instead, they go up into the tree as well. I, I thought of this story this week as I thought about Mary and Joseph and a common situation that we face. And I hear a lot of amening and ahaing, so I think you can probably relate as well. I thought of the obstacles that they faced um, here in this story that we've just read and thinking about what their probably their first few years would have looked like and I thought about this story it took a lot of courage and grit to trust in another dream which required them to deviate a bit from the plans to leave home and to flee to Egypt this did not seem like the likely next step this did not seem like what God had for them and yet it was this wasn't what was planned, and yet it what was it, it was what was provided, what was there. It was precisely what God wanted for them. And in this case, it literally kept them alive, being willing to stop doing what they, you know, thought was the normal way of acting and to act different. As we begin this new year, twenty twenty three at this point, it just all these years seem like we're in a sci-fi movie or something. It just the numbers to me just seem so strange. As we begin this new year, we may be facing something similar, and again, on our own, as a family, as a church, whatever. Your preconceived thoughts about next steps might be best. Maybe they are, or your next steps might be quite different than what you previously thought. Perhaps you need to prayerfully consider moving in a new direction. One that you didn't think was previously necessary. Like Mary and Joseph, you thought this is what we're going to do. But there was an obstacle. There was a decision. There was a fire truck that showed up that could answer all, you know, solve all the problems. Maybe there are adversities or, you know, barriers or, or obstacles in your way. Maybe there are new laws or policies at work, procedures or something. Things that complicate things that are the kind of thing worth grumbling about and being frustrated about. But kind of have to comply with them. And so they require a little change of, change of direction, change of philosophy, some new practices. I don't know what it is. But as we conclude this Christmas season as, as a church... And as we head into a season that's all about learning to, to perceive Jesus, who he really is, be careful that your plan is really God's plan. Don't keep repeating things that are not working simply because it's what we've always done or what you think you need to do. Sometimes God does... Elijah is a great example. So many of the prophets are great examples. Sometimes God begins to lead and says, do this. And then as you begin to take steps, it's, oh, I need you to take a left. I know I said go this way, but I need you to take a left. Don't keep repeating things just because you've always done them or you think you have to. Instead, let the courageous actions of Mary and Joseph be an example for us of the newness 
that God wants to and will bring in our lives. Our God is a God who makes all things new. Our God continually acts in new and unexpected ways. I love that word. I think it's so important as you read through Scripture. Almost all the people God chooses, the paths that God lays out for them, it's always unexpected and strange and yet good. Our God acts in new and unexpected ways. Our God asks us to be willing to do the same. But always for our benefit. This story is a prime example of this. And so, how will you begin this new year? What, what new direction? And again, it may be that the direction you're headed in is the direction you need to go in. But it may be that there's a patch of ice. It may be that there's some other obstacle or unforeseen you know, thing that's blocking the way. And even though you thought this is how you needed to go, you need to go left or you need to go right or make a change or be willing to try something new. That's not always the easiest thing, but usually it's the blessed thing. I don't know where you're at as a person, as a couple, as a family, as a church, whatever, but I do know that this is a common, common experience and that we can learn from this really overlooked and extremely difficult early portion of Jesus' life, especially when we think about how Mary and Joseph would have felt in this situation. Our God is often doing something new and unexpected, but always for the blessing of the people, for the blessing of, of all of creation, which would include you and me and, and us as well. Have courage this new year to do something new, to take a risk, to pay attention, to avoid that ice in front of you, to see when the fire truck shows up and don't just keep doing the same thing. Uh, as the, the first of the month, it might feel like we've done this a lot. It was Christmas. Last night. That's okay. It's a, it's a good thing to do this often, but it's the first of the month and our, our normal week to receive communion. Uh, this meal is something that can feel mundane. It can feel like something that you've done for a hundred years or twenty years or whatever. It's always the same, but really, it's something new. It's an inbreaking of God's grace every single time we come to this table, every time we receive this. The very first time that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he was doing something very, very new, very unexpected. They were celebrating the Passover, which of course the people had done forever. For a long, long time. And as they, most likely as they were concluding their meal, he had some bread and, and some wine uh, set aside. So he wasn't too good of a Nazarene, I suppose. And he, he brought in the bread and he said, this bread is, is my body. I want you to receive it. I'm giving it to you. Uh, this cup is my blood. It's going to be poured out in sacrifice for you and, and for all. I want you to take this bread and eat it Receive this cup and drink it and do so in remembrance of me. And, and all these years later, we do that very same thing. People all around the state, the country, the world receive this meal, have done so already, will do so in similar places, in great big giant fancy cathedrals, in tiny little impoverished huts, in fields, in subways, you name it, they're gathering. They will gather or they have gathered and will keep doing this until he comes again. Something new and unexpected and yet very, very good.
Uh, the last couple times we've received this, we've done it this way, and I'm going to stick with this because it's, it's been working and, and I've received, can't make everyone happy, but I've received some positive feedback by this and, and I hope that's okay. So just in case you're new or have forgotten, what we're going to do is in just a minute, I'll, I'll call the ushers forward <clears throat> or those who are serving. We're going to have two over here, and we're going to have two on this side. If you can, uh, you're, going to, you're going to be asked to come forward. If this is something that you would like to receive, which you're all welcome to, as long as you know this is Christ's body and blood offered for you. If you want that, come. Come down the middle aisle, receive the elements, hold them. Don't, don't take them yet if you can. And then return to your seats. Just go this way and go, go through the outer aisles. Have a seat. Um, if you can't get up, for whatever reason, I'll come and I'll serve you. Uh, just stay where you're at. And then all together we'll receive. I'll also ask a couple of the ushers, whoever finishes first, to head to the uh, Sunday school room and serve the teachers and children as they would like to receive. If you don't want your children to receive, please just tell them that in the future and they, they don't have to do so. Um, but this is a gift intended for all. It's a meal intended for all. It's a gift of grace, of sacrifice, of new life, of newness that you're invited to. So if the ushers will come forward. <clears throat> 